Welcome to the Congress Author Podcast Series, brought to you by the Cytokine Signaling Forum, where authors review their Congress posters and presentations on cytokine signaling and JAK inhibitors. This edition, recorded at ACR 2019 in Atlanta, focuses on upadacinib. The first two presentations focus on data from the Phase 3 select trials. Professor Burmester will discuss 60-week data, but first we will hear from Professor Smolin. This poster is about eupodacitinib uh, as a monotherapy with results over 48 weeks. We already showed the results of 24 weeks before and showed that eupodacitinib monotherapy at 15 and 30 milligrams in patients who immediately switched from methotrexate to eupodacitinib was highly effective. The control there up to week 12 was continuation of methotrexate. So methotrexate continuation in methotrexate insufficient responders. What we show here is the extension into 48 weeks. Primary endpoint was at week 14. And the patients who were on methotrexate only were switched at that point in time also to either eupodacitinib 15 or 30 milligrams. And what we can see on the poster is that those patients who continue to use eupodacitinib after week 14 into week 48 maintained their overall response. Indeed, there was even an increase in ACR70 and slightly in ACR50 responses. We know that ACR50 and ACR70 responses take slightly longer than three months. ACR20 almost reached the plateau at that point in time. So the efficacy was maintained. But those patients who were on placebo plus continuing methotrexate and were switched to eupodacitinib, now within a short time came up to the ACR 20, 50, 70 levels that the patients who started with eupodacitinib had already reached. So that shows dually the efficacy of eupodacitinib. That also pertained to hack to physical function, uh, it uh, also pertained to change in, in scores, such as pain and other scores. CDI, for example, CDI remission was attained in, in uh, 20% at week 48 of eupodacitinib, 15 milligram, and even more in patients using eupodacitinib at, at, at 30 milligrams. But with respect to adverse events, there was no major difference between the two doses for most of the adverse events, especially not for serious adverse events. However, for herpes zoster, there was a, a slightly higher level of, of herpes zoster uh, in patients who used the higher dose. So overall, what these data show is that you can easily switch from methotrexate to monotherapy of eutipodacitinib, which is approved at 15 milligrams daily, and the, the, the efficacy is maintained, and, and uh, it has a, 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 an acceptable uh, safety profile like other JAK inhibitors. Hello, my name is Gerd Burmester, and I'm here at the ACR 2019. 
in the beautiful city of Atlanta. The title is uh, Long-Term Safety and Efficacy of Upadacitinib in Patients with Rheumatoid Arthritis and an Inadequate Response to Conventional Synthetic DMARDs. We are presenting here the results at 60 weeks from the select next study. Actually, the uh, first three months have been published uh, recently in The Lancet, and the question was, how do these patients do after this uh, initial shorter period, which was short because it was placebo-controlled, and for ethical reasons, you cannot do this longer. What did we do? The patients were either in the placebo arm or in the upadacitinib 50-milligram arm or the 30-milligram arm. The one, the patients being on 15 or 30 stayed in the same arm. The patients on placebo either switched to 15 or 30. So though we now we have data for uh, 60 weeks of uh, patients being on either 15 or 30 milligrams of upadacitinib. So let's have a look at the efficacy first and what I think is quite remarkable because normally we are used in this conventional synthetic DMARD inadequate population to the rule of ACR 2050-70, uh, 2040-60 uh, rule and uh, the data are way above it because ACR uh, 20 response uh, was above 80, ACR 50 above 60, ACR 70 close to 40 or even above. So these are remarkable efficacy parameters and interestingly there was no difference between 30 and 15. So um, by, in by doubling the doses, dosage, we did not see additional activity. What was also nice, the placebo patients rapidly caught on uh, to the original uh, efficacy in those who had gotten the drug right away. So this was also true if you looked into the uh, various measures of remission, even including the very stringent criteria like, like CDI and uh, the Boolean remission. And uh, in, in the CDI, it was uh, uh, above 30 that we saw remission in these patients. Obviously, very important question, what about the safety profile? Well, compared to the uh, JAK program in general, we didn't see additional signals. Again, what popped up was the uh, herpes zoster signal, which we know in JAK inhibition. Uh, but what's also evident was that uh, there was a somewhat higher signal rate in the UPA 30 group compared to the UPA 15 group. And now we know that um, after the filing, UPA 15 has been approved. We don't apparently need the higher dosage, at least in rheumatoid arthritis, because we could see here in the SELECT NEXT study was exactly the same efficacy. So uh, this is not bad news because we can go with the 50 milligrams. 30 would have had more signals. It may be necessary in some other diseases that needs to be explored. But here we saw a safety profile with 15 that we know without any new signals. The next two papers focus on safety data with Professor Yamoka comparing the safety of upadacitinib in Japanese patients with global patients and Professor Choi analysing cardiovascular events from the SELECT trials. I'm Kuni Yamaoka from Kitazoto University um, in Japan. Um, this is uh, comparing um, 
uh, safety in Japanese population and the rest of the um, global population. Uh, there's uh, six uh, trials, and we picked up um, 300, uh, 371 Japanese patients and compared it with the other global population. Um, there are some differences in backgrounds, such as BMI. Um, you know, we Japanese have lower BMI, and the other has uh, higher BMI. Um, some differences, but uh, to highlight is um, we had a little bit higher serious infection, higher zoster, um, uh, a little bit less TB. Uh, those and uh, the other, there's not really a big difference. Um, the if you look at the whole global population, there's not really a big difference compared to the other JAK inhibitors. But but with the Japanese population, there seemed to be a signal. But we think that it could be something that related to age. We had um, more uh, older patients in our. Um, popula uh, Japanese population, so that could be affecting. We don't really know uh, the real reason we see a signal compared to the global population. Um, one, thi one thing to explain about Zoster is, uh, like I said, the age, and we also have barely no patient that has been vaccinated, which is not the case for the other global population. There are uh, three to six percent of the patient has been already vaccinated, which, you know, they have a very low risk. Uh, there's no difference in um, uh, steroid use. So um, there seems to be a signal, but we're going to do some analysis on why we see this and figure out, you know, which the patient has a higher risk. Uh, I'm Ernest Choi. I'm professor of rheumatology uh, from Cardiff University in the UK. At the ACR 2019, I presented the result of a poor analysis uh, of major adverse cardiovascular event and venous thrombosis event from the phase three program of upadisinib, which is a recently approved JAK1 selective inhibitor for the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis. This analysis utilized five phase three clinical trials of upadisinib and looking at major adverse cardiovascular event, DVT or PE in the patient. And we compare the incidence rate in the upadisinib group with patient treated with either placebo, methotrexate, or adalimumab in this study. And overall, it shows that the incidence rate of major adverse cardiovascular event as well as venous thrombosis event are very similar across these treatments with no indication of a signal. In addition, there is no dose relationship between the event in the 15 or 30 milligram group. Many of the patients who have major adverse cardiovascular event or venous thrombosis event have at baseline recognizable risk factor such as hypertension, obesity, uh, diabetes, which may have predisposed these patients to getting this adverse event already. So at the moment, based on clinical trial data, the upadisinib treatment does not seem to be associated with uh, either major adverse cardiovascular event or venous thrombosis. Obviously, this needs to be correlated with real-world observational study and much bigger sample size to in, in order to look at these associations.
In our final section, we have two presentations reviewing different clinical situations, with Professor Butch comparing mono with combination therapy and Professor Fleischmann presenting data on switching from TNF inhibitors to upadacinib. And finally, Professor McInnes presents data on the mode of action of upadacinib. I'm uh, Professor Butch Meyer Butch um, from the University of Manchester, having recently moved from the University of Leeds, uh, and I am going to provide a summary of one of the posters, number 511, at the American College of Rheumatology 2019 meeting, entitled A Comparative Analysis of Upadacitinib Monotherapy and Upadacitinib Combination Therapy for the Treatment of Rheumatoid from Two Phase Three Trials. So um, the pretext of this poster was really to build on um, increasing discussion and interest around the use of targeted therapies as monotherapy as we have increasingly recognised that a sizable proportion of our patients on biologic demands are treated in real life as monotherapy. Certainly in the background prior to the JAK inhibitors, um, the trial data on biologic uh, drugs have certainly demonstrated that the combination with methotrexate is the optimal to improve significantly signs, symptoms and structural outcomes yet in reality we realise that methotrexate intolerance and the inability to necessarily combine strategies using methotrexate isn't always possible so within the upadacitinib um, programme of trials there are two studies that have evaluated um, one uh, combination therapy um, and secondly the um, monotherapy so select next and select monotherapy were the two trials select next looked at patients who'd failed previous conventional synthetic demands were randomized to either continuing background demand um, upadacitinib 15 milligrams or upadacitinib 30 milligrams and select monotherapy. So in Select Next, they continued the background demand. In Select Monotherapy, these were methotrexate failure patients that were either randomized to methotrexate placebo or one of the two upadacitinib doses as monotherapy. Now, each of these trials demonstrated um, significant benefits with upadacitinib, but there was a remaining question as to whether there's a difference between upadacitinib monotherapy or combination. And in the absence of a direct head-to-head study, an indirect um, analysis was undertaken, and that was the basis of this poster. So this was an indirect analysis comparing select next and um, select monotherapy. The the caveat is always that this is a post-hoc analysis. It's indirect, and so there has to be more caution and in interpretation. Broadly, however, the populations were similar um, in terms of demographics, uh, where recruitment was from, disease duration, disease activity, uh, mean methotrexate dose. And so the analysis took the form of in the uh, select Uh, next study only including patients who were on background methotrexate into this analysis so there are about over 600 patients in the total trial of of which over 400 were on background methotrexate and they were included in this analysis 
and the patients from select uh, monotherapy were all included. And the primary outcomes were ACR20 response and DAS28CRP of less than or equal to 3.2, so low disease activity state, at week 12 and 14 time points. And the different time points are to reflect the two different trials that had slightly different time points for their primary outcomes. Um, the analysis was indirect. It did a controlled group um, analysis for monotherapy versus combination, and it adjusted for factors that we recognize are relevant, including serological status, baseline disease activity, smoking status, etc. In essence, what was observed that if we look at the primary analysis, so ACR20 response and the DAS28 less than equal to 3.2, there were no significant differences between upadacitinib monotherapy versus combination. Uh, numerically, it appeared to be higher in monotherapy. Um, similarly, when there were analyses then looking at the more high hurdle endpoints, so ACR5070 response and then also including CDI and other outcome measures, there were no um, significant differences between the two strategies. Numerically, in almost all those outcomes, it appeared that monotherapy had higher response rates or was achieving better outcomes, but I would caution any interpretation on that. This was post hoc indirect, so that all that I would interpret is that essentially the two strategies appear to be comparable, consolidating uh, what the individual trial data is suggesting uh, certainly wouldn't be able to extrapolate any more from that. Um, this is important because, um, as I alluded to at the very beginning, monotherapy has become increasingly relevant, partly because the patient-physician expectations have changed. Our threshold for burden of treatment is now becoming relevant, whereas previously our sole focus was only achieving good efficacy outcomes. And now patients are voicing concern, understandably, in terms of burden of treatments, and methotrexate becomes relevant here. Also, we're treating uh, an aging population. Demographics are changing. Comorbidity, multimorbidity, and the whole issue of polypharmacy is increasingly recognized. So what these data suggest is in populations, particularly where methotrexate may not be appropriate, uh, may not be feasible, um, upadacitinib appears to provide a treatment option where we're not compromising and jeopardizing efficacy for the sake of maintaining uh, a monotherapy strategy. And I think um, clearly in terms of future um, outcomes and post-marketing surveillance and real-life data will be incredibly important, but I think this um, has the ability to influence clinical practice as we're seeing in the area of um, lots of other therapeutic strategies as well. I'm Rory Fleisch from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical School in Dallas. Um, we're going to talk about Abstract 2907 from ACR 2019. And what this abstract uh, was about was the clinical functional outcomes in patients with active rheumatoid arthritis who were switching between a JAK1 selector, upadacitinib, and adalimumab if there was an insufficient response. So this is a, a, an analysis from the uh, Select Compare study, uh, which has been previously published. And a Select Compare with uh, background methotrexate and incomplete response, uh, we looked at upadacitinib 15 milligrams once a day, ratolimumab 40 milligrams every other week, uh, both plus uh, a background methotrexate. And we wanted to see whether or not there was a difference 
between uh, adalimumab and methotrexate. So a ranked secondary endpoint was the ACR50 response, uh, change in HACDI and change in pain uh, between upadacitinib plus methotrexate and adalimumab plus methotrexate. And this was a positive study. So the study was done actually to see whether the 15 milligram was better than placebo, which it was in this trial, and whether or not there was superiority of, of uh, upadacitinib versus adalimumab by those endpoints, which it was. And in this trial, every secondary endpoint, as well as both primary endpoints, were met, but, so, which is nice. But what was really, really interesting about the design of the trial and what was unique was actually the switch. So at week 14 and week 18 and week 22, if the patient had no response, defined by a uh, less than 20% uh, improvement in tender and swollen joints, with either upadacitinib or with uh, adalimumab, they were switched to the alternative uh, agent, and they were immediately switched. Uh, there was no washout. And then, so these are the non-responders. And then at week 26, any patient who didn't achieve CDI low disease activity, so CDI of less than or equal to 10, uh, with upadacinib was switched to um, uh, adalimumab, and patients who didn't achieve with adalimumab was switched to upadacinib. So this switch, again, was without a washout. And it was very, very interesting because we've seen studies where patients have failed an anti-TNF such as adalimumab switch to a jack and the jack works, but there's been no study which has shown that a patient who fails a jack then is switched to a TNF and the TNF works. So this is the first study that's done that. So the results of this study were quite interesting. Um, in terms of the patients who had uh, no response, it turned out that uh, if you failed adalimumab, you could respond to ubatacitinib. If you failed ubatacitinib, you could respond to adalimumab. Numerically, more patients responded to upadacitinib, but this trial really was not powered to tell you whether or not that was a statistically significant difference. So all we would say is, fail one, you could respond to the other. Nice results. Secondly, and I think actually as, as important, were the patients who achieved a, um, did not achieve a CDI of uh, less than or equal to 10, low disease activity. They could have been two or two, 66% better. They could have started with a CDI of 45, come down to 15, and still, they, because they didn't achieve low disease activity, they would have been switched to the alternative agent. So these are the patients that you see in the clinic where you think they've done fine because they've had a really good response, but it isn't to target. And then the question is, what if you switch? Well, in this study, it turned out, again, there were actually better responses in the patients who had the incomplete response to upadacinib switching to adalimumab or adalimumab switching to upadacinib, with 50-60% of patients achieving an ACR50. So there were two main points, actually three main points. One, these were immediate switches. We didn't see safety signal. We didn't see a signal in terms of uh, of infection or, or any safety signal. You don't have to wait. You can do the immediate switch, fail adalimumab, start upadacinib the next day. If you fail uh, 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 upadacinib, you can start adalimumab the next day. 
The second is, is that if you don't respond to one, you could respond to the other. And if you don't respond to a jack, you could respond to a TNF. And there are people who feel, I'm one of them actually, that given equal access, I would probably start with the jack over at TNF. And then if the patient fails the jack, I would go to the TNF. And then the third is, is that yes, a patient has no response, could respond to the other, but a patient has a response, a, a, a clinically significant response, but still isn't a target, still isn't a, a goal. There is a rationale to switch them to the alternate agent because they could do better. So we think that this study actually uh, um, was well-designed to show these three, uh, three uh, endpoints and that they, it was quite successful in doing that. Thank you. Oh, hi, I'm Ian McInnes. I'm the professor of medicine at the University of Glasgow, and I'm here at the ACR in Atlanta. So it's a poster in which we've taken whole blood from 200 patients who received upadacitinib, 15 milligrams, and we've analysed that whole blood for a gene expression profile, so that's RNA, up or down regulated, over week 2, week 4, and week 12. Key findings are that there are changes that we predict in circulating leukocyte populations, mainly B cells, to some extent neutrophils, eosinophils, number one. Number two, when you then apply an ingenuity pathway analysis to that, we see probably predictable downregulation of the expression of a whole range of inflammatory cytokines, upregulation of ACKR2, which is a master regulator of chemokine receptor biology, and of the R1 negative regulator, R1RN, and when we look at the impact of that in the cellular level, we see really broad pan-leukocyte effects. The immunological impact, therefore, is general immune homeostasis. Very difficult to then refer that back to any one individual jack cell activity. Thank you for listening to this edition of Congress Author Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to the CSF Podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss out on more ACR 2019 content coming soon. If you found this informative why not listen to our other podcasts which include author interviews and a monthly review of the latest cytokine signaling papers hosted by the CSF steering committee chair Professor McInnes. You can also visit cytokinesignaling.com for access to a wide range of free educational resources including monthly slide summaries of the latest papers, accredited CME courses and Congress highlights. <laughs>